Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It hasn't stopped raining here in 24 hours. It's coming down hard. It's coming down like you're in a jungle or something like that. But even in the jungle, it rains for a little while. Then it stops. It's been nonstop here. It's totally overwhelmed uh, New York and much of the eastern seaboard. And you know what would be nice right about now? A government that worked, a government that maybe prepared for this stuff ahead of time. Uh, that fixed the leaks that have been there for decades, right? But we don't have a government that's particularly interested in that stuff lately, right? No, this is hard work, and it's not glamorous, but it's important. It's what we really depend on government for, not this. Virtue signaling, talking about Black Lives Matter, right? This is so far outside their job description, and so is this. <laughs> Transgenders in schools. Yeah, Eric Adams, our goofy mayor, who unbelievably has actually convinced certain conservatives out there that he somehow, you know, gets it. He doesn't. He is a fool. I'm telling you. Now, on a day like today, yeah, he tries to look serious. He puts on uh, the tie and he's out there and he's just, uh, but no, day in and day out. Government is not what you do during a crisis, it's actually what you do in preparation of the crisis, in a way, huh? And we're not prepared. As a country, we're not prepared when we have a government as silly as this. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. According to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat the homeland today. Are we topless at the White House? Uh -huh. Woohoo! Um, I know it's a very big government, and you could say, well, it doesn't matter. The government's doing all kinds of things, but it really does come from the top. The direction, the priorities. If you work somewhere and your boss is talking about everything other than the product, other than the service your company is supposed to provide, that company would be in trouble. So, the shutdown, potentially. I'm not particularly worried. I mean, whatever happens, happens at this point. I know, and I knew, no matter what, that the military would still get their money. We've been through this before. They always get paid, and they always try to scare us ahead of time. Let's be clear. If the government shuts down, that means members of Congress, members of the U.S. military, are going to have to continue to work and not get paid. The first and most immediate impact, uh, Michael, is that those 1.3 million active duty troops won't get paid. If, in fact, there's a government shutdown and they're not getting paid, then this could really impact things like paying, uh, feeding their families, paying their rent. Goodness. Oh, wow. How can you not support the troops at a moment like this? They're always playing this game. And you know who helps them play that game? Woke political generals like Milley. His last day on the job today. Thank goodness. Although, 
I'd actually like to see him recalled to active duty, which you might be able to do at some point, because this guy, I believe he broke the law. Certainly the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and it could happen. He could be recalled to active duty under another president and charged. First off, at his retirement ceremony, here's a humble brag. We call this a humble brag. And let me thank my family. My family and friends that are here conclude my classmates from Princeton, so maybe we can hear you shout. That was pretty weak, actually, so not sure what to make of that. Let me tell you what to make of that, all right? He knew the whole class of 1980 Princeton wasn't there. This is a way that he can tell everybody, I went to an Ivy League school. This video kind of went viral today. Oh, wow, the Princeton people don't like him. There were no Princeton people there, but he got to say he went to Princeton. That's his big claim to fame. Uh, bad guy, very bad guy. He, tr he sabotaged the country. He did. And he brags about it. We are unique among the world's militaries. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or to a tyrant or a dictator. And we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. We don't take an oath to an individual. We take an oath to the Constitution, and we take an oath to the idea that it's America, and we're willing to die to protect it. Yeah. Um, this is a man who brags about that oath a lot. I'll get to the oath, actually right now. Uh, this is the oath of office that service members take. Um, officers take it, enlisted people take it. It is an oath where you do kind of swear to protect and defend the Constitution. Hey, Richard Gere, remember him? An officer in a jail. He took the oath. People love that movie. It was a great movie. But let's go to the oath of office uh, that most of the military takes, okay, that Millie was bragging about. And it's in there. Uh, you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Yep, definitely in there. But there are a few other things in there. That I will obey the orders of the President of the United States. That's in there. Also, uh, according to regulations in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God, you got to follow that stuff as well. Um, and I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office. And the duties of the office include being respectful of those above you, like the commissioned officer, the president above Millie. Any person subject to this chapter who behaves with disrespect toward his superior commissioned officer shall be punished as a court-martial may direct. And I know that Millie violated Article 89. Um, there are lots to choose from, lots of episodes, but I'll go back to the most famous and the most misinterpreted by our fake news. They thought this was a profile in courage, this moment. So there's Millie, all right, 20 feet behind President Trump just leaving the White House. Somehow the fake news and his, the, the people he colluded with said that you shouldn't have done this, you need to apologize for it. And he did. This moment right here, you could court-martial him for. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. I mean, 
he's now indirectly saying that the president committed the mistake. He said this in the summer of 2020, in the middle of an election year, he's making a spectacle out of himself for political reasons, because he's working against Trump and with the swamp to get Trump out. Next, at that same speech, he says something that at first glance, if you're not really concentrating, you may think, well, that sounds wonderful, what he's talking about. It's not. It's dangerous. All of us in uniform are willing to die for that idea, the idea that is America. And so we must also be willing to live for that idea, for freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peacefully assemble, and freedom to vote, and freedom to believe as you wish in your religion. These are essential freedoms that are the cornerstone of our country. Americans have spilled their blood to protect them in the past, and they continue to be worth fighting for. This we will defend. So what's the problem here? I know, at first glance, no problem. Number one, we should not be lectured by anybody in the military about what basic freedoms we have in America. There's something wrong with that. We know that. Why are you almost acting like this is within your power somehow? And this we will defend. That's not up to you. The commander in chief, he's in charge or she someday. He seems to be going rogue here. I really believe that this is a problem, a major problem that's not going away. Even though he's gone, it's not gone as a problem. I'll prove it to you in a moment. Something else here. This is the military advisor, the chief military advisor to the president. On January 6th, he told the committee that he was upset that the president didn't call him, that the president owed him a phone call. If he, it doesn't work that way. You're advising. You have to tell the president. You bring the information to the president, not the other way around. Watch. Yeah. Hey, Commander-in-Chief, you got an assault going on on the capital of the United States of America. There's nothing. No call. Nothing. Zero. No call. No nothing. Zero. What about taking the initiative, soldier? Hmm? Unbelievable. And there's more. And he's bragging. And the more he brags, the more he gets himself in trouble. I'm telling you, this is not over. He may be out of the military officially, but he can be called back. Now, his successor is a guy named C.Q. Brown. He was sworn in today at Fort Myer. Uh, there he is on the left. Millie's on the right. And you know who's in the middle there. And he said something that, again, sounds wonderful, but it's very weird. I've been honored, blessed, and focused on the task ahead. Today is no exception. President Biden, Vice President Harris, thank you for your trust and confidence that you placed in me. Thank you, President Biden and Vice President Harris, for the trust and confidence you've placed in me. Under ordinary circumstances, that would not be weird, but it is. Please remember that, okay? be coming back to it in a moment. First, though, we got to go to the summer of 2020 when another general took it upon himself to make wildly political statements in the middle of a presidential campaign. He's a four-star general in charge of uh, Air Force Forces Pacific at this moment. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd.
I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis of the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. I'm thinking about my sister and I being the only African-Americans in our entire elementary school and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about then going to a high school where roughly half the students were African-American and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about the airmen that have lived through similar experiences and feelings as mine or who were either consciously or unconsciously unfairly treated. A couple of things. August 8th, 2020. That is June, July, more than two months after George Floyd died. He chooses this date to make a statement. Why is that? And why the emotion? Like it happened the day before, hours before, like he witnessed it himself personally with his own eyes. Why the trauma? It's hyper, hyper political in the middle of a campaign. Now, he was already selected to be the head of the Air Force at this moment, right? He's going to be the full four-star general running the Air Force. President Trump was in the Oval Office with him the day he was sworn in. President Trump uh, says some nice things about the guy. And listen to how the general reacts. He's got the biggest job of his life right now. I've seen this whole thing, okay? Watch. First of all, um Appreciate the honor uh, to be back in the Oval Office. It was uh, back on January 15th, I remember right. it well, right. when I came here for my interview. And I appreciate the trust and confidence uh, from you, the Vice President, Secretary Esper, Secretary Barrett, uh, General Goldfein, and the rest of the Air Force leadership. It is a distinct honor for me to, to have this opportunity. And so I feel very honored and blessed, and uh, I enjoy serving. So uh, I really thank my family, because uh, uh, they get a vote it's a uh, great on this. And, uh, and my parents and my sister, uh, in-laws, brother-in-law, um, and th those that aren't here today um, for all they've done to help me be who I am. He's thanking people who aren't even in the room, but not thanking the president of the United States who's right in front of him. He appreciates the honor. He loves to serve. I thank my family. I thank my cousin Ralph. He doesn't thank the president of the United States. He, went out, he totally thanked Biden and Harris, right? You see this? This is a soft coup they were doing. And this is what we're seeing publicly. What were they doing behind the scenes? President Trump, he's a pretty good read, has a good read of people. He knew what was going on. He picked up on it. Watch. Go out there and do it. Greatest country in the world. And you have all those brand new F-35s. You have all that. You have equipment like you didn't have two or three years ago. I can tell you. Congratulations. Congratulations, everybody. Isn't that something? The man who made it kind of looks lonely almost. And everybody thanking each other, but not the man who made it happen. He did thank Biden and Harris. He saw that, right? Right to him, right to their face. Thank you. Why? Well, they helped each other in the election uh, with that crazy political statement about George Floyd. They were working together all along. But I tell you what. I wouldn't trust him. A lot of people in the military, in the upper ranks, do not deserve trust right now. And he actually already proved that. Remember when uh, Biden took that fall at the Air Force Academy? Ooh, that was bad, right? Here he goes. Ooh, that's bad. People jump up to help. Not quite everybody jumped up to help. One person just stood there 
sat there, rather, and if you look closely, he's got a bit of a smile on his face. That's the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, C.Q. Brown. I'd keep an eye on him, and we'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is power. Is freedom. Is money. Is health. Is Newsmax. Millions watch it. So can you. Newsmax is real news for real people. All right, that's Tupac Shakur, the late Tupac. He was killed in 1996 in Las Vegas, shot. And for a long time, uh, it was an unsolved case. But they made an arrest today. His name is uh, Dwayne Davis. Now, apparently, this guy's been bragging for a long time that he was involved in the shooting of Tupac, that he was there in the car. He may not have pulled the trigger, but he was like, you know, one of the key players in this operation to kill Tupac. Now, the police today in Vegas showed us security footage of a fight that happened a few hours prior, and Tupac is actually involved in this fight. He's, he's kicking some guy on the ground. It was a gang thing, right? And the gangs were angry at each other. They were angry about this fight. And then the word went out, allegedly, to, uh, well, take out Tupac. And allegedly, this guy was involved in it, Davis. So big press conference today in Las Vegas. Uh, the authorities are very, very satisfied. Um, but it's a new age, right? A new era. And uh, the DA there, a Democrat, uh, I think he went a little over the top. I mean, sh I'm glad they got the killer, but Tupac, I mean, what kind of guy was Tupac? Uh, rest in peace and all, but, you know, he was misogynistic. He wrote those terrible words about women and stuff he would do to them and has done to them. And anyway, but now he's, uh, he's a hero. Tupac Shakur is a music legend, and for a long time, this community and worldwide have been wanting justice for Tupac. Today, we are taking that first step. Tupac was actually quoted as saying, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside while still alive. Never surrender. Well, we didn't surrender, thanks to the great work of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. All right, great job by the cops. But quoting Tupac right now, you could quote Tupac. It's too ugly to quote Tupac. Again, very, very talented. I just don't think it was the role of that Democrat DA to be quoting this, uh, this fellow. Uh, do you? I tell you what, a lot of folks were concerned about the lyrics. I mean, very edgy even then and now. Dionne Warwick, the great singer, she had her concerns about Tupac and his message. In the early 90s, she summoned Snoop, Tupac Shakur, and rap mogul Suge Knight to her home promptly at 7 a.m. Since the rappers referred to women as the B-word in their music, Dion told them to call her that to her face. She came in and started saying all of that, like using our lyrics against us. These little girls don't have tails and they don't walk on four legs. So why are you calling them what you're calling them? You need to change, you know, your lyrics and because you're going to be a father one day. And they promised that they were going to start curtailing the way that they were presenting themselves on recordings. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it sounds like they had a nice breakfast, but it didn't really change anything. And, well, rap music and hip-hop is what it is. Some of it, I, I don't know. It's not for me. All right, next, please. Both Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk have been shot and killed. The suspect is Supervisor Dan White. All right, Diane Feinstein dead at the age of 90. There's stuff to admire about her life. San Francisco mayor, uh, you know, achieved a lot of things and let's have a moment of silence. Okay, that's it. Um, she also did some horrible things. Horrible, horrible, horrible things. She engineered this whole Christine Blasey Ford fiasco. Remember that? The whole country had to stop and watch this total, I'm sorry. I mean, this was not a shred of evidence and everybody stopped and listened. God. What about Joe Biden's accuser who had real evidence what they did, what she did, Feinstein, she orchestrated this whole thing. Kavanaugh called her out on it. Remember when he was defending himself, family? This was one hell of a statement, a great one. This first allegation was held in secret for weeks by a Democratic member of this committee and by staff. It would be needed only if you couldn't take me out on the merits. When it was needed, this allegation was unleashed and publicly deployed over Dr. Ford's wishes. And then, and then, as no doubt was expected, if not planned, came a long series of false last minute smears designed to scare me and drive me out of the process before any hearing occurred. Crazy stuff. Gangs, illegitimate children, fights on boats in Rhode Island. All nonsense reported breathlessly and often uncritically by the media. Absolutely. And orchestrated. He was talking about that Democrat senator. That was Dianne Feinstein. She and her staff conspired. Thank God he was confirmed. Thank God. If he wasn't, if a man could go down off of something like that, no evidence whatsoever, no even corroboration. And then she is indignant that Kavanaugh dared defend himself. I was shocked to see Judge Kavanaugh take the same tone and strategy. Candidly, in the 25 years on this committee, I have never seen a nominee for any position behave in that manner. Judge Kavanaugh used as much political rhetoric as my Republican colleagues. And what's more, he went on the attack. He yelled at Democrats for having the temerity to express our frustration for not having access to over 90% of his record and said that some Democratic members were, quote, an embarrassment, end quote. An embarrassment. He let you off the hook. Easy. You orchestrate a false accusation of rape against a man in that forum, and you're surprised that he's upset, huh? You find that offensive somehow. Talk about out of touch. She was in politics for a long, long time, and you do lose touch. Anyway, it's up to Gavin Newsom 
to find a replacement. Is he committed to the best possible person? He wants a black woman. Now, that is so disrespectful to everybody, including the black woman who might be the best person, but now people will think it's only because of her skin color and gender, and that's wrong for California and wrong for America, and what are you going to do? I'll be right back. President Trump is leading in the polls. But only one network is covering President Trump's events live. That's Newsmax. Millions have made the switch to Newsmax because it's the real news they can trust. President Trump says he loves Newsmax. Every night you can start watching with Rob Schmidt at 7 p.m. Eastern. Rob Schmidt is exposing the Biden impeachment truth. All this week, Rob looks at the Biden money trail and the tens of millions that went to his family. Newsmax is on all major cable systems. If your cable operator doesn't carry Newsmax, call them and demand it. And don't forget to download the Newsmax app on your iPhone or Android. It's absolutely free, and you can start watching at any time. Get the Newsmax app now. Get Newsmax at home and make the switch. You won't look back. Jonathan Turley, again, an impeachment witness. He's great, a constitutional scholar. And there are big concerns that he has about the Hunter-Joe Biden arrangement. And uh, it looks like influence peddling, and that's bad, right? Influence peddling is a form of corruption. The United States has signed treaties to combat this form of corruption around the world. And that is also an inescapable fact. All right. Obviously, obviously, you don't have to be a presidential scholar to know that. No, no disrespect, but he's making a larger point. And yeah, influence peddling is bad. But the swamp lately is trying to say it's actually just fine. Look, it's pretty clear, you know, while we debate whether Hunter Biden broke the law or not, the influence peddling part with his last name was perfectly legal. You see how we have a bit of a gap, <laughs> okay, perfectly legal, something that's universally seen as corrupt. It tells you how bad the swamp is, though. There are people who actually say that with a straight face. Of course, I can, I can use my name, and even though and George W. Bush did it way before he was president, here he is in 1992. He's got it made. He's the son of a president, doesn't have to do a damn thing other than pick up the phone. When you're the president's son and uh, you've got unlimited access combined with some credentials from a prior campaign uh, in Washington, D.C., people tend to respect that. I mean, access is power. And uh, I can find my dad and talk to him any time of the day. People in Washington, D.C. tend to respect that. I don't. And neither do you, I think. Let me know. We'll be right back. I've spent more time with Xi Jinping than any, world, than any world leader has. 68 hours alone with just he and I and an interpreter. Traveled 17,000 miles with him here and in China. On the Tibetan plateau, he turned to me and he asked me, he said, can you define America for me? And I was deadly earnest. I said, yes. In one word, possibilities. We in America believe anything's possible if we try it. Anything we do together, we can get done. 
You know what? He has more respect, more affection for President Xi of China than he does for MAGA. Make America great again. That speech this week, he called MAGA a threat to democracy. That really is bizarre. I just kind of, wow, he likes China better than us? Blaine Holt, Brigadier General, U.S. Air Force retired, and Gordon Chang, uh, China expert, author of two fantastic books on China, The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. I know he said it a million times, but he said it again yesterday, this thing about Xi and how tight he is with him. Is he sending them a signal? Is he, <laughs> Gordon, you first. That is getting weirder and weirder. We already know that. Who's he talking to, us or him? You know, I have no idea because, you know, if he has such a good relationship with Xi Jinping, then how come China is acting so provocatively, so belligerently against the United States? You know, Biden's comments make no sense politically, and certainly they don't make sense in any other way. And this is important because I think that Biden, you know, he's trying to convince the American people that he's been corrupted by the Chinese or he's living in a world like his three, four decades ago. Um, I don't know which, but the point is, this is not serving the interests of the United States at a time when China is preparing to go to war against us. Um, we did learn this week that a wire transfer went from Beijing to his house for a total of $260,000. General, uh, it was the last day on the job for Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, good riddance, he's gone. Uh, this was the big ceremony. It looks kind of lame, actually, over there at uh, Fort Myer. Uh, I recall um, something he said about the need for not the best military, but this kind of military. Listen. Retain and promote talent within our services. We must ensure that diverse candidates have equal opportunity to branch into the career fields and serve in the key positions most likely to produce our future senior leaders. And we must ensure fairness and equity at all key gateway selection boards, including promotion, command, and war college. We must take advantage of the diversity committees, the councils, and the offices in each of the services to identify best practices in talent management and act on them. Diversity committee. Anybody who's ever been near a diversity committee is using all the right words, equity. Um, this man, finally he's gone. Any thoughts, General Holt, that we're now no more General Milley? Yeah, I think we've uh, closed a chapter. I think we're in better shape <laughs> for closing that chapter. I, you know, the end of the speech could have read, and we'll raise future leaders that will warn the Chinese if we're ever going to go to war with them, uh, regardless of what the uh, duly elected president of the United States wants to do. And we'll, um, if we walk with the president near a church, we'll make sure we apologize for it a couple of days down the road. And then we'll claim that we're not political at all um, and we'll preside over the one of the biggest failures in American history militarily, even though it's my responsibility to give best military advice to the president. I, it's, we're, we're in better shape. Uh, I'll wish him well in retirement. Uh, I don't begrudge the man. I just begrudge how this all worked out for our country uh, very poorly. Very briefly, uh, I'm not sure if I do wish him well, because I still think uh, he may have broken the law, may have broken uh, Article 89, disrespecting a senior commissioned right. officer, which would be the president of the United States. You're a I general. didn't say I don't wish accountability for him. I do. I absolutely do. And due process. Could you be recalled to active duty uh, involuntarily as a as a retired general? 
You certainly can. You don't lose the title of general in your retirement, and you could be recalled at any time. I'm, I'm actually giving a speech here in Oregon uh, tomorrow on what it will take to rebuild our military. And in that respect, there could be people recalled not just for accountability, there could be people recalled to rebuild the military. Hmm. Uh, Gordon, who is General Milley's uh, counterpart? Who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in China? And what do you think he, or unlikely she, makes of all of this? There really is no counterpart to General Milley because China has a very different system. It doesn't have a state army, it's a private army. And so you can't find real corresponding relationships, let's say between Milley or Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Um, so it's a little bit complicated and it's a completely different system. And by the way, Milley committed treason by calling up a Chinese general and saying he would warn him if the United States were to attack. That's treason. And I think President Trump was absolutely right to call out Milley for that. Yeah, no, I, there's all kinds of things about that guy. I mean, that one thing, though, about that phone call, because I think he's playing games, he's bragging about it, uh, he's trying to bolster himself as a player, as the defender of the Constitution. But General Holt, isn't it possible he made that phone call and just said, hey, how are you? You know, obviously, things are not tense between us. Obviously, I think he spoke in general, generalities, possibly, and just is bragging about a call that may not have happened the way <laughs> he wants people to think it happened. That's absolutely correct, Greg. And I think that that's very important because you've got to, if there is going to be an accountability piece, and I think that the entire national security team needs a review, especially going back to Afghanistan. But we have to separate braggadocio in some book someplace from what really occurred on the phone. And if and if what he said in the book really occurred, well, then that bears very, very keen scrutiny because right. that is well out of bounds. Well, the stuff he said publicly, publicly, yeah. that's the that's stuff right. that I think he's really vulnerable on. Uh, Gordon Chang, a privilege to have you and same to you, General Holt, to be continued. Have a great weekend and we'll be right back. that he's got tattoos on his face, that's not a good sign. Tattoos on the face, not a good sign. As usual, Trump is right. Uh, you see tattoos all over the place in the head and neck region. Whew, that is a sign of criminality. And actually, uh, these words ultimately mean something. Now, not everybody with a tattoo obviously is a bad person, but some of these symbols are actually gang symbols. You know. Elon Musk was at the border this week. He learned a few things about tattoos. You were telling me, like, sometimes, you know, people coming through um, are, you know, they have gang tattoos oh, and, they, yeah. and they have, a, like, the tear, uh, you know, uh, tattoo on the on the forehead. Like, I'm not sure, uh, maybe that everyone knows what that, what, it, what tattooing a tear on your, on your head, on, on your face means. I visited, I visited, <laughs> it's not good. There was a guy that had face and neck tattoos, hand tattoos, and he had teardrops. God, and a teardrop is, is when you kill when somebody. When you kill someone, and then you wear it as like a... As a badge of, as a badge of pride. You're right. like actually happy that you've killed someone. Right. And you want people to know it. Right. And, and... And when someone like that comes through and they say they're an asylum seeker, what, what do we do? So, so I'm in there and I, I ask, I ask the, the, the border patrol chief. I mean, this is, we're, we're talking about a serial, basically a serial murderer. Because yeah, he has multiple a serial, serial, serial murderer and proud of it. 
Did you know that about the teardrop thing? Yeah, a teardrop means you killed somebody, but there's a difference. There's like an outline of a teardrop and then one that's filled in. Uh, to decode some of this stuff, we're uh, privileged to be joined by Lieutenant Nick Perna with the Redwood City Police Department in Northern California. He is a gang crimes expert. He specializes in human trafficking and drug sales. And he's the author of Street Crimes Investigations Handbook. Uh, came out two years ago, but it's already kind of a law enforcement classic. Uh, Lieutenant Perna, thank you for being here. How are you? Great, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Listen, I was uh, kind of surprised to hear what I just heard from Elon Musk and his friend there. Big picture, as we look at a tattoo guy, all, you know, it is a bad sign, right, in the face. It almost always means bad news. Well, it depends. If you're talking about, like, Post Malone, who's obviously has no gang connections, uh, his face tattoos have no gang meaning. Uh, can face tattoos be related to gang activity? Uh, absolutely. In reference to that teardrop tattoo that Elon Musk was talking about, it's it's hard to really define what that means. And it, it really kind of depends on what the person's intent was when they got the tattoo. So uh, from my experience, I've known subjects to have a, a teardrop tattoo when they've lost a loved one or in gang culture when a another uh, member of their gang is killed, they'll have it. And certain gangs it can also indicate that you killed somebody it's really kind of a matter of interpretation and you have to have a lot of training and experience to identify whether or not a uh, tattoo is in fact gang related and it i guess does it vary gang to gang what a tattoo might mean yeah quite a bit so uh there's so many gangs across america that uh a gang tattoo that a gang member in buffalo new york has might have a completely separate meaning to a gang member in North Carolina. Hmm. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, here in the jurisdiction where I work, all the gang members will get tattoos that are numbers that are relevant to what block they live in. So, like, we have a gang that has a 500-block tattoo because they live in a 500-block of a certain street. But that's in Redwood City, California, right? If that gang member goes to Fresno or... Austin, it doesn't have any meaning whatsoever to another gang member. I want to show you something, uh, Lieutenant. Uh, We call this the three dots tattoo. Uh, We hear this uh, pops up a lot, three dots uh, in a row. Yeah, there we go. It's like a little triangle there. Uh, Does this, uh, what has this been said to mean at times? It's got a few different meanings. Uh, The general gang meaning is the dots stand for mi vida loca or my crazy life. Uh, there's gang members that have it. There's non-gang members that have it. Uh, it's also a common sign and symbol for Serrano gang members. Uh, they're pretty active out here in California, and they're kind of like the street gang members for the Mexican mafia that is a, a prison gang. So, again, you really got to know who it is, why they have it, what's the story behind it. Hey, by the way, you can't just uh, take somebody in for questioning if they have a tattoo, right? Even if it's the most horrendous tattoo, you know, that's uh, that's not sufficient um, to pull somebody over or stop them and question them, or is it? No, absolutely not. So not we always kind of use the totality of the circumstances yeah. argument when we approach these things. So if someone's involved in a gang crime, like a shooting or a drive-by, they're wearing clothing that gang members generally wear. They have a history sure. of gang activity. And on top of that, they have a gang tattoo. Yeah. Then 
that that's evidence of gang activity. But uh, just a tattoo in and of itself, generally not. Sure, that's and that makes total sense. We don't want that. Uh, hey, I got to show you two more. A cross on the chest, which to me would be. You know, a good sign, I guess, but maybe not. Uh, does this tend to mean something? So in a global sense, that tattoo is sometimes seen on uh, Russian organized crime gang members when they do time in Russia is one indication I've seen of it. But uh, really, again, that that's a very common tattoo for just about anybody to have the little grim reaper below that is a little suspect if you ask me, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall that, that doesn't in and of itself, barring any other supporting evidence, it really doesn't mean anything. Now, how about this one? Uh, I've seen it a bunch. I actually, I don't have a tattoo, but it kind of looks <laughs> cool. The spider web on the elbow. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, there's something about this one. Uh, th is this bad news? So like the teardrop tattoo, it, it's got a bunch of different meanings. If it's a prison tattoo, if someone got it in prison, which a lot of times you can tell if they're uh, dark colored ink, like black ink, because generally they just use a homemade tattoo gun and put pen ink in there to do it. Uh, it can mean that a person's done a lot of time in prison. Uh, like the teardrop, though, in certain gang cultures, it can mean that you killed somebody. But, I mean, it could just mean you're a big fan of arachnids, I guess. It just depends. <laughs> All right. Hey, just big picture. How's it going in your neck of the woods in terms of crime, in terms of violence, in terms of uh, quality of life? What's it like in, in, in Redwood? So Redwood City is a nice town. We're about we're kind of in between some interesting places. We're 30 minutes south of San Francisco and about 30 minutes north of San Jose. So right in the middle, uh, we have a very supportive population here. They support the police, they like us. So maybe unlike some of the other Bay Area police departments where they don't get as much support, we're doing pretty good here. All right, awesome. Well, Lieutenant Perner, we appreciate it so much. And uh, why not T check out his book, Street Crimes Investigations Handbook. Came out two years ago and uh, you can find it on Amazon. And uh, we appreciate it, sir. Stay safe and we'll be right back. Great, thank you very much, Greg. You know, folks, I thank God for my wonderful wife, my kids, my country, the greatest nation ever. And Americans like you who believe in the truth, The Chris Salcedo Show will never stop fighting for you. The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know. So, you know, I have two little girls at home and a wife. Uh, there's one of them where she's on a, um, what do you call it, the little scooter. Okay, there's the little one, that's uh, Madeline. She's one, isn't she pretty good on that scooter? We're down in the big plaza called the Oculus in uh, lower Manhattan, and uh, she's pretty good. Oh, that's me, actually, I didn't realize. And there's the older one, uh, Annalise, she's three, uh, going away. Do we have any pictures of them coming toward me? <laughs> okay, bye, 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 guess not.